0: Trigger warning, the podcast you're about to listen to may contain sexual and violent acts committed against men, women, and children. If such acts offend you in any way, please do not listen any further. This podcast was made for an audience of 18 years and older and contains mature and explicit content. Also, this podcast may also contain a high level of profanity, and explicit language. If such things offend you in any way, shape, or form, please do not listen to the podcast any further. This is your last trigger warning. If anything that I mentioned above offends you, please do not listen. Thank you. Warning. The cases that I talk about here are under the assumption that the individuals that are accused allegedly committed these crimes unless they have been convicted in court for the, tri- for the crimes that they have been charged with. This is by no means me making any kind of accusations whatsoever. I am simply commenting on news articles and stories that have been shared with me through individuals who may or may not have experienced these said stories. This is not fact. This is purely my opinion unless they have been through court and they have been convicted please understand that moving forward thank you hey everybody this is Jeremy with the Man Apart podcast this podcast covers rape and pedophilia cases as well as highlight organizations that make it their mission in this world to fight for children. I appreciate you clicking on to my podcast and listening to these episodes. I also have survivor interviews that I share as well, which can be very graphic and heavy, but as much needed to be heard in this day and age because, like a lot of people, I myself was not aware of how troubling and how deep this issue really was until I started hearing survivors and listening to the heinous and horrific things they went through. So thank you, for clicking on this podcast and listening to these stories while I know they're deep and disturbing we need to know what goes on with the victims and survivors and what they went through so that we can try to identify the problem and then we can figure out how to solve the problem my podcast is not for the light of heart it's not for the faint hearted at all it's not for anybody with a weak stomach these stories will change you mentally they will make you question your faith They will make you wonder why is it that the systems that are in place do not protect children and do not give justice to survivors. And that's what I want it to do. I want it to make you think. I want it to make you go and be curious enough to do the research as well. And to go out there and seek the answers and find the truth to all of this. Because somebody has to. I myself is just a man who was tired of seeing these babies being harmed. And from there... It grew, and I found out so many different traumas that I never knew existed. So thank you for joining me on this journey. Thank you for clicking on this episode. Thank you for supporting me. It does mean a lot, and it's much appreciated. And I'm glad to know that since I've started this journey, there are so many individuals out there that care about protecting children and helping survivors like I do. With that, here's the latest episode. Hey everybody, this is Jeremy with the Apart Podcast. This is going to be episode 56, titled Provo Canyon and the Waffle Debacle, part 3 of the Samantha Haynes Chronicles. So this part of the interview picks up where we left off last week, where Samantha talks about how she went to, Gower got sent to Provo Canyon. In this episode, we talk about what it was like to be a Provo Canyon, and then we talk about the waffle debacle. You'll find out why I named it that later on. Just know that it's basically about interactions between her and Kelly Tiller. The pedophile that she ends up killing later on. Like I said, this story is going to... You're going to think the story doesn't amp up or ramp up a little bit and everything. But I promise you, This is important to understand these interactions before that fateful night in New Mexico. But let's just keep listening to these stories as they go along. And hopefully when all this is over and said and done with, all these have been put out there and you go back and I want y'all to re-listen to them all over again. But I want you to listen to them back to back to back if you can. And you get to really walk away with a different viewpoint and mindset about Samantha. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. uh, It's pretty famous. Wasn't that the same one that uh, Paris Hilton was locked up in as well?
1: It is a level 14 um, lockdown. That is the same as jail. It was a straight lockdown institution. For some reason, it's under residential school. That is an institution. Let me tell you how fucking awful these people were. I had been homeless and I was gross. When I first got off the airplane and they picked me up, they drove and it was in January. They fucking drove with all the windows down in the car. Like, was I really that bad? Did I really stink that bad? They just were horrible to me. Just yeah. All the way around horrible. Um, when I got there, they shaved my head completely. Like, wow. they bald, shaved it. I had oh al- there's always kind of been something wrong with my stomach I can't eat when I have too much anxiety I can eat later on in the day when I'm more like my body's exhausted from having high anxiety all day you see what I mean my body gets tired and my stomach kind of releases and I can eat they didn't like that I skipped meals or couldn't eat and I'm I was a healthy I was around 140 right now I'm like 120s and I'm not too beatable now there's no way I should have been forcibly tube fed at 15 while I was 140 pounds. Like, yeah, there's just no freaking way. Yeah. Um,
0: I mean, 140, 140 is a pretty healthy weight.
1: Yeah. Like, um,
0: for a 15 year old.
1: Yeah. If I was down in the 90s, 80s, like, okay, yeah, let's forcibly tube feed her. No, they, And how they did it, they stuck a tube down your nose. I remember gag. something's in your throat. This big, long tube is like in my throat through my nose. When the tube was in, I would just gag constantly. And they decided to tape the tube onto the end of the tube onto the side of my face. It was horrible. And so this is how they forced me to have to eat every single thing meal and they did this a few times they poured boost down it i remember called yeah. observation oh yeah and i told you about the shower watch the shower
0: yeah watch. Uh, yeah so for the so for the listeners that don't know um so me and samantha know each other on tiktok and you know i'll scroll through the feeds and everything sometimes in my following feed sometimes in my for you page and samantha will show up in both of them She was answering a question about, I think, prison showers and everything like that. And I remember asking a question like, uh, you know, which was worse? Because I knew you was in the TTI. So I said, you know, which was worse, the prison shower or the TTI showers? I remember when when you did the video comment and everything like that, I felt so fucking horrible because I could tell. Just how much, how triggering that was for you, how traumatic that was for you. Like, I, I really felt awful. I felt so sick to oh. my stomach. No, that
1: because, was actually a good question. I don't mind answering. You know, hard questions. Yeah. Especially, I knew you would listen. Yeah. You know? so. but, I mean,
0: it's still like, but you know, like I, like I, like I have like I have compassion and empathy for people, and it's just like I could feel your pain answering that question, and it was just like. It really, like my, like my heart sunk into my stomach when I saw it. Like I, I teared up a little bit. I'm fucking tearing up a little bit now, just even thinking about it, because it was just like I could tell, just in your voice, just seeing you and everything like that, answering that question. I was, that's why I said what I said. I was like, oh, you know, I'm so sorry. Like I, like forgive me, because it was just like, you know, I, I could just, I could just tell the trauma.
1: I I don't, you, I don't think you even knew that it was gonna it was going to be that bad i think you No
0: I I, I I i it was really an innocent question because yeah. i
1: i i go ahead oh, fuck this is a story like this yeah. is a story actually let me let me explain it when i first got there i i, I apparently smelled so bad you know like just Wrenching. I understand I was gross. I was living on the streets for months. and At this point, I was basically homeless for almost a year. I was 15 when I ended up going. It was 2004. from 2014 to 2007. I was released on my 18th birthday. But anyways, that first week was just horrific because they shaved my head. They locked me in this place called OBS. They put me on shower watch because apparently I was just so gross. A grown fucking adult needed to watch a 15 year old take a shower. Like, and these are not trained professionals. These are 20 year olds just got out of high school, psychiatric, anything. Like they may be taking a couple classes at the fucking BYU college. They are not trained professionals in trauma and natural trauma responses, how to even just treat a regular 15 year old girl why would they shower watch the the adults needed to watch and if you did not do it well enough if you didn't wash your ass accordingly they would do it for you like so they needed to watch you wash everything to their liking what
0: Yeah, very, very pedophilic, in my opinion. So for the TTI...
1: And really, it's for adult desires, because your parents are not satisfied for some reason or other. Like, either you're a little depressed, like most of the girls there did not need to be there. And this is how I gasped at myself into believing that I needed to be treated like that. I was such an extreme case. There was only a few other girls that I knew of that they shaved their heads completely like that. There was only a few other girls there at the time that were getting tube fed. They had told me that I was one of their more severe cases, so they needed to be more severe with me. And in my head, even still now, I feel like Provo saved me from the streets somehow. In my head, I still gaslight myself that I was so out of control by the time I was 15. I'm surprised I wasn't dead already. When you're in a bad situation, I think it's almost instinct for us to try and make the best out of it. Because that's what we have to do in our head.
0: Right. Because because so, your mind your mind's trying to protect itself from the trauma you're experiencing. And so while I'm not a psychologist or a counselor of any kind, I do understand that.
1: And Bobo Canyon really tried to pretend like the Mormon religion, uh school that school anyways wasn't a part of the program how could that possibly be when everybody works there is a Mormon how can there not be a Mormon influence in an institution that is in Provo Utah of all places yeah in Salt Lake City like this isn't in you know a big town this is like the heart of Mormonism so it was put and I remember, so they would lock me in, they called it an OBS, and they would have a tiny little door, uh, window door that they could open and look in on you. This is a brick cell. People have also asked me, what's worse, being segregated in prison or being segregated in Provo? And I'm going to fucking tell you right now, it is Provo. There is nothing in there. There's not a sink for water. There is not a bed. There is not in like these are all things that you have built in to the prison you know segregation cells so there was nothing you have to sit on the fucking concrete floor no windows nothing except for that little fucking window and they have a little dog a feeding dog tray thing that they could open and give you food in and it was only like finger foods that they would feed you through there one of their it was sunday so all of the you church people would come by and stop at the observation basically tell me they're saving me like i needed this it was just the wildest shit because it was torture the way they were treating me there was seriously borderline torture like tube feeding me shaving my head locking me in a cell with nothing no bed nothing what this is gnarly behavior and this lady is like smiling at me saying that like I deserved this and I was being saved and this is gonna help me. That place was batshit fucking crazy. And I had to deal with that for two and a half years. Now the only escape there. And here was another thing. They lied to me. They said if I did really good, I could get out. Well I tried that after, you know, and after seven months, they finally told me, oh no, you're no, you're supposed to stay here until you're 18. Your parents aren't gonna take you back. I'm like what like so I already had like a kind of like a mandatory sentence there what the fuck so I turned 18 I was able to graduate and since I had already missed so much school what I did was I took on BYU classes in order to graduate and I actually graduated 4.3 I was top of my class and we had a little graduation ceremony at this nice place. Dallas and Ken did not show up for my graduation. Like, is that surprising? No. no that's but, not surprising. Yeah. Yeah. Totally not fucking surprising. Right. Right. I was released just like that. No, like, help into society. No, I was just 18. I'm an adult. I got to take care of myself. So they gave me a check of little, like, I did little work here and there and they would pay you, you know, cents. <laughs> and it accumulated to $300 uh, all the years.
0: <laughs> Three
1: hundred, wow. yeah. So I got a check for $300 and um I bought a van in Los Angeles. So I was homeless living in a van. And down I, by the river. Uh, basically actually on the uh, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Ventura Ventura Beach. I am fucked up. Like Provo did not motherfucking anything for me. But you know, on the good side, oh, I graduated top of my class. I took my SATs and did really good. So like actually now, like I'm trying to get into ASU and I was accepted because my score and awesome. so so in a way, you see what I mean? Like so it's the good and the fucking bad. Like right. geez, the silver I, lining. I, I worked so hard in school because it was my fucking only thing that they would give me to escape was was school oh man yeah I took I think I took on like four extra classes than what everybody else had it it was I worked my ass off though so I feel like I'm not giving myself the credit for what I did I still kind of giving that well I wouldn't have been able to do that without Provo because I was homeless before but really if I had stable people around me I bet I could have worked out of that like school was your escape from the trauma but when I got out, it was just the same thing. I was getting messed up on anything that I could, hallucinogens. I was just wiling out, wiling out. I remember we did Morning Glories, which is just the uh, hell's bells, is what we would call them. And they're little bells that hang from just trees everywhere in California. And uh, you just boil them and drink them, and you'll hallucinate for days. It's a poison, so, I mean, that's really fucking dangerous. Like, I could have died. But, yeah, we yeah. had to boil all the poison out, I was doing the most. And I decided um, that I wanted to go back to New Mexico. And I had a boyfriend at the time named Aaron. His dad took us in for a while because I crashed my van. Well, somebody else crashed my van because he was high on triple C's, but I lost the van real quick. Okay, living that lifestyle, like should have just, the van's not gonna last. So I'm staying with a boyfriend and his dad on Venice Beach, basically. We decide that we, I'm going to go to New Mexico to be back with my family. We just pick up and we left. We started fresh in Carlsbad and I wanted to buy a house. The houses there were way cheap in comparison to California. I bought this house for 60 grand and there was no down, first time buyers. So there was no down payment and I was able to get this cheap little manufactured home on Pompa Street. Me and Aaron's relationship didn't last and I started doing hard drugs. So I had only been living in Carlsbad for a year until I started using the needle with my new boyfriend, Dewey. Aaron, me and him actually got married. He had to go back to California. He almost killed himself. Drove off a cliff in California. It was a really bad breakup. and he, I just fucked him over, though, too, at the same time. So I have done. I, I did. I shouldn't have done that to him. But I got with this new guy and I started using the needle. I was doing meth and my life quickly fell out of control. I was probably using the needle for about 10 months before I picked up a murder charge. Yeah. Wild ride in the dope scene. And I had never been in like the real dope scene out in the middle of the desert this is a whole new ball game that i really didn't fucking know anything about california hallucinogens on the beach smoking weed kind of you know drinking kind of yeah are way different than crazy
0: crank cranked up uh, yeah yeah cranked up uh, on heroin and, and meth and and cocaine in the drug middle, scene. yeah,
1: in the middle of the desert and i'm telling you there's yeah. about there's something about desert people. There's something about them. I don't know if it's a common trait, but there is something wrong with these desert people. Okay, I don't know if it's all deserts, but man, these people are fucking wild. And yes, they will take you out in the middle of nowhere, give you a hot shot, and you'd be gone forever. Uh, nobody would find you. And it was pretty common there. And um, the dope scene was dangerous. I let these two people... Um, move in with me, Gumby and Annette, because they were selling drugs, right? Annette, yeah, shit crazy. Holy, like, she gets a check. She is diagnosed, she is 5150 by the state of New Mexico, and she gets an SSI check. That is how crazy she is. You know that's got to be some hard work to get an SSI check for being a little off, but she got it. She was out of her motherfucking mind. She well, a- I actually, I had a I, so
0: I actually had a I, I, this, I'm gonna give you a side story before you go on with that that little piece so to be certified and everything. I had a friend who I called a brother of mine, right? I'm very close friends with his ex-wife to this day. Like me and my wife are very cl- close with her and everything. she's a I call her my sister-in- law and everything and like I'm her I'm the godfather to her two or two boys. but anyway, like he would I remember he told me this one time that uh, if I wanted to get a check to be crazy, Go up to, you know, go, go, go up there, go to see the doctors and all that shit like that. And just answer every question with like September, just every fucking question they ask you, just say September. They'll give you a fucking check because apparently somebody that he knew did that fucking same thing down here in Louisiana and would just uh and would get their monthly check every fucking, you know, every month, get their money, pay their rent and everything like that and go party and do whatever the fuck they wanted to go do
1: she would get her $600 and she would get dope and flip it. That's so that's how they survived is literally on that $600 SSI check that she got. Um, but yeah, so I had them living in my spare bedroom because I wasn't pulling licks I, or stealing. I wasn't, yeah. um, you know, I, I wasn't selling my ass, not saying that that's, you know, wrong or anything, but I right. had no hustle. So, but I had that house. So that was just my best option to always have dope around is have drug dealers live in the fucking spare bedroom. Now, how smart is that? Okay. And one yeah. of them, that's crazy. It's not smart. That was not a fucking smart move for me. Okay. Um Jeez. They are out. Like, and when you're around somebody that is that insane and you're on drugs, it, that shit will start rubbing off on you too. Okay. Yeah. So she she thought that since I was adopted she thought that I was her long lost sister um, like I mean she was just off she said that she was yeah. a woman and she could heal me and all kinds like it was just crazy but Gumby was kind of quiet he stuck to himself but he had already he'd done like 20 years in prison so he kind of just stuck to himself and you could tell that he had a lot of he was institutionalized you could just tell yeah and, but things started to go pretty south. Uh, remember Jed in my early childhood that I lived with for about six months? Yeah well, he came back and I got with him and uh we stayed together and but we were both using we were both um he was a traveling he was a train hopper hobo when he he was just stopping by saw the state I was in and was like, oh shit. Let me help you. And then he got sucked into it. We're not doing good. He told me, he's like, I need to get out of here. Like, will you please come with me? I didn't. And I really should have because it was getting really bad there. He said he wanted to go visit his family in California for Christmas. And this is 2010. And when he left, it was a whole nother blow to me, really. And then I found out, like... He called me from his ex-girlfriend's phone. I'm like, what? So it was just a total fucking blow. Like another relinquishment basically happened to me. I started spiraling. Around yeah. that time, I kicked Annette and Gumby out. Now, this is why. One of my friends came up to me, Jason Cunningham. I'm still friends with him today. He said, they're trying to sell you off for an ounce. I'm like, What?
0: Yeah, so, like okay, so I so I have a few questions. An ounce for what? For, and how the fuck do you sell somebody off
1: for sex? Apparently. I got you. And this had already kind of seemed to happen. One time, they're like, "Hey, why don't you go hang out with Barry and get out of the house because you're really depressed and you haven't left the house." And we feel I feel like they were trying to take like control of my house, right? And yeah. mind you, these are older people. Gumby was almost like 60 when this went down in 2010, early 2011. Annette was almost 40. I am 21. So these people have lived in this town. They know everybody. They've been in the dope scene. I am brand new to all of this environment. There was another guy named Barry that they were trying to get me to get with. and But he lived like a state. And I didn't know what was going on with that either. He was kind of creepy. Um, he drew a picture of me while I was asleep and, uh, I asked him to get the fuck away from me. And it was, that was a whole nother deal. Um, there was another guy that was kind of acting weird with me that they were trying to introduce me to like, you see, like they were trying to bring people like around and like, get me to camp like, you out that I would sleep with them. Maybe if I went out to, with them on a date, like, but that never panned out. If I'm if I'm going with somewhere with a homie and they just want to, I'm not gonna. I, I was not sleeping with everybody in the dope scene. You see what I mean? I. Yeah. St- and I I was all I was already, um, a, a sexual assault victim, um, homeless, and when I was younger, that just wasn't my 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 getup. I didn't need to either because they were the drug. Do- they were supposed to pay me rent, right? I I should not, but... you know, a little bump every day for rent like that was it 20 bucks so for them you see what i mean that was yeah. for them that this is where uh it starts getting real crazy um about a week before then some guy named thumper um he is actually my biological mom's ex-husband but anyways thumper yeah so kind of like my stepdad ex-stepdad in a way um, I jumped out of his truck one night because he said he wanted to sleep with me, um, but, but I wanted to give him money for drugs. And he's like, I don't want your money. And it was getting creepy and I was getting scared and I jumped out of his fucking truck. So like this is the dope scene that I'm living in. There's a bunch of perverts around me. I feel anyways, even if they weren't. There were a, a few close people that I trusted. There were the Hedgecocks. There was Roy Carey, there was Ira, like I had a group of people that I knew wouldn't mess with me if I passed out for three days, you know, from a come down. And that was a see what I mean? So I had close people, but everyone else seemed scary to me and perverted and they wanted something out of me. And really dope brings the worst parts of people anyways out, right? So
0: I was so scared of Coke and heroin and meth and all that shit like that. Like I accidentally did Coke for the first time I smoked a Primo joint. And when like my, my dumb ass, I, you know, me, me and my brother and another friend of mine that was close with, you know, we got, you know, sold a fucking, uh, a Primo joint. We're thinking it's like high grade fucking weed. We're not thinking it's weed laced with cocaine. So I accidentally, you know, free based a fucking Coke, you know, like a cocaine laced fucking joint, and I did not like that feeling whatsoever. And then the second time I did it though, I was um, it was just it was powder, and I was I was already kind of high and I was drunk, and uh, some of my like people I knew, they're like, hey, you want to come uh, want to do a bump and everything like that. I'm like, you know, because I was saying no all the time, and I said, well, fuck it, why not? I was already you know I was already a little fucked up. Yeah, exactly. and, and, and yeah. And so I was like, well, fuck it. Yeah. You know, because I, I was curious about it. I still was always kind of curious to experiment with it a little bit. And then like, yeah, come on, uh, just, just come hop on this train. And I'm like, what? It's like, yeah, you're gonna bump a G rail. I'm like, what? What the fuck is a G rail? It's a fat line of fucking coke. And uh, I get, I mean, I, I, I barely snorted, like, I, I didn't snort the whole fucking line. I got, like, a little bit into it, and I was like, holy fuck, I was wired. The drip and all that shit like that. I'm like, nah, okay. Uh, and, and I, I really, like, I didn't need uppers. Like, my mind is so wired that I, like, my body needs, like, downers. So I was, like, always into uh, weed and alcohol, specifically, a majority yeah. of my, uh, my drug use. And then a little bit of pills here and there, but I never I was fortunate enough. I never got hooked on opioids and shit like that either. Like I was lucky, uh, just to everything, to the stuff I was exposed to. But I was also like a professional, like I was semi-professional. Like, um, when I dealt, I didn't deal with strangers. I always dealt with friends that I knew or I had, they had to be vouched for through other friends. And, you know, I would like, before I'd go meet them, I'd change up the last minute. Like, Hey, don't meet me here. Come meet me down the road here. And they get all fucking pissed off and shit. And I, and I did it for a reason. So that way, if I got busted or something like that, I wouldn't be caught on a fucking sting or some shit like that. And I was, I was so paranoid of that stuff. And I was lucky. Like I was extremely lucky. I never got arrested and I did other things too. I can't really say publicly or anything like that, but I, I, I took some advice you know, early on, and it was from a, a guy who was in that world, in the criminal world, for a long time, and he's like, "Look, this shit ain't for you. Get the fuck out of it, and just go do something good with your life." And that was the best advice anybody ever fucking gave me. I'm sorry. So, wow. Yeah, and so I, I, I feel myself fortunate that because if like I mean, because look, so I live in Livingston, Paris, Louisiana. Which we have parishes, not counties. I lived in the parish over, next over, called Tangipahoa Parish. Had I lived out here in Livingston Parish, doing the shit that I was doing, I probably would have gotten arrested, and been in, you know in jail or go to DCI or or Catahoula or whatever one the, or one of these you know uh, prisons they got out here. Because I was just I was lucky, I was fortunate, I was blessed in a sense because I just never got fucking caught. Yep. And,
1: um, and that's, you know, like I,
0: go ahead.
1: Yeah, roll of the dice too. It really is. That's all it is. The judicial system is just a roll of the fucking dice, whether you're, yeah, lucky or not. You know. Yeah. It could have e- it could have easily been yeah it could have easily been you getting hemmed up for, for something crazy. So I go to um, my aunt's house. My my biological aunt. My dad's sister. Right. Kelly, and I tell her that I am desperate, that I have a needle in my neck. I have no veins. I have hepatitis C. I um, am dying out here. Like, this isn't, I can't be out here like this anymore. And I asked her to put me somewhere, help me get into a rehab. And she said no. And uh, about a week later, it just gets, it just gets bad. I kick, I'm kicking Annette and Gumby out um, and I still don't know what I'm doing. Like, I have no idea what I'm doing in this fucking town with these drugs. I'm out of my mind. Um, I I don't even know what day it is. Like, when you're doing meth like that, you don't know what day it is. Like, all the, everything is jumbled. Everything is warped, distorted. Your view on yeah, everything is distorted. I am. Yeah, I'm I, the only place I've already blown all of my veins. Only place I could shoot up is in my neck. So I have to flip upside down, put my thumb in my mouth and blow. Right? Like,
0: yeah, blow to out pop out your veins.
1: Yeah. And make all the blood go to my head. So my veins pop out and I've got good veins and I've got to do this whole fucking maneuver just to hit myself. Somebody else has to do it. So I have to trust someone else to give insert drugs into me. Like it's just too, I'm, I'm in a bad state. Okay. Yeah. About a couple weeks before Around no, it was still around Christmas time. I made waffles because Annette and Gumby were still there, they're about to get kicked out. And this guy named Kelly Tiller comes to get drugs off of. And people are in this is a dope house, right? People are in buying drugs, going to the back room, you know, into their spare bedroom and getting drugs all the time. There's yeah, in and out of my house. And I'm making waffles, and I didn't have fucking syrup syrup. I just made all of these waffles. I'm starving. I'm coming down. I need to eat something. I probably haven't eaten in a week, and I'm pissed off that there's no syrup! Yeah. <sighs> and um, Kelly's walking out of the room, and he's like, oh, I can go. Let's go get some syrup. Like, you gotta come with me, though. I mean, he could have just, like, went down the street real quick at the, they call them all subs, but they're, like, little 7-Elevens, you know?
0: Yeah. So, yeah.
1: And um, little convenient gas stations right down the street, like two blocks down the street. Um, and he's like, oh, I can, I'll buy you some syrup, but you, you got to come with me. And I'm like, okay, let's go real quick. And I get in his car and he starts going the wrong way. And I'm like, where are you fucking going, dude? And he's like, oh, I, I'm going to go to this also so over here across town because my friend works here and I can get a discount. It's was like a discount on a small bottle of syrup. It's like a dollar fifty for a small bottle of syrup. Like yeah, talking about you need a discount. Okay, um, that's fine. That's fine. So we drive all the way across town. Like this is now turning into like an hour long mission. He's getting sidetracked. He's keeps stopping places, and I'm like, hey, I want to go home. This is making me uncomfortable. Like, I feel like you are forcing me to stay with you in this vehicle at this point. You're taking me to strange people's places, saying hi to everybody you know in town. Um, I want to go home. My waffles are cold. Like, uh, uh, yeah, this is turning into a big old thing. And it was getting uncomfortable at this point. So he finally drops me off with the syrup. That was my first real, like, being around him for a long time was. When I first moved in, I was pulling, the, you know, that 70s style wood paneling? Yeah. Um, I was tearing all that shit out when I first moved in there. My next door neighbor um, is Kelly Tiller's niece. So he would always, like, drive by my house all the time. His niece lived right next door to me. She was in control of his finances, all of his finances. His check went directly to her. He had like brain damage. He wasn't all there. um, And he was high. He was not paying. The whole reason why she had to take control over his finances was because he wasn't paying child support. He had a bunch of charges. Like there was a bunch of Stuff going on, and he wasn't really all there. So, somebody else took control, whether that was like by the courts, I'm pretty sure it kind of sounds like it. Um, You see what I mean? That somebody was his like conservatorship kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, this is he stops and he wants the wood paneling, which is the weirdest fucking thing. So, he's watching me pull all this wood paneling out of the house. And he stops. He pulls up, and he's like, "Hey, what are you doing with this?" Like it was the weirdest shit. Why the fuck would you want this ripped out paneling? But okay, yeah, I guess you can have it. But I didn't realize he was high on meth and probably just tweaking, right? Right. That's that's what that's what it is. That was what yeah. Was, so that was the only time I had even seen him before the dope scene. Now when, um. Annette and Gumby were there, like plenty of fucking creepos went into um, th- that house. But that was the, this was, yeah, around Christmas time, he pulled the syrup incident. Now, now what is going on? It is, I'm pissed off because the water got shut off and the water, they came and shut off by water at like five o'clock. So in the so morning or even turned on. No, like, like in the morning or in the evening. Oh, in the evening, five yeah. in the afternoon. They fucking turned off my water. Like what? So now I didn't have any water in the house. Annette was actually, uh, in charge of the water bill, but it was like back in the day there, it, it was like $30 water bill. It wasn't even that big of a deal, but, yeah. um, so my water gets shut off and I'm upset. Kelly comes in to get some, some dope, um, so Kelly came to just pick up some dope. It was a few weeks. This is January 4th, 2011. He comes in, picks up some dope. The water shut off. I'm upset. I swear it was almost like when I was there and just being normal and everything was okay, there was no, he was just in and out. You see what I mean? But when yeah. I. In a crisis, like I was upset about my syrup, he could fix that for me. You see what I mean? Kind of like I'm doing you a favor, see? Like like he needed to be noticed for doing me a favor. Um, that's what it seemed like his attitude was and his behavior anyways. Trying to, try, basically
0: trying to be the hero.
1: Yeah, yeah. He was like, oh, I've got water. He goes and gets the dope. He's like, hey, you want to do dope with me? I'm upset. I'm like, ah, fuck it. Like, how's, you know, I can, yeah, I can trust getting dope from him and having him, you know, shoot me up because somebody else has got to do it, remember? I don't know why. I don't know why I did this. I don't know why. And I knew better, to be honest. At that point, I knew not to take drugs or let anybody shoot me up that I really didn't trust. And he already creeped me out with the syrup incident. I don't know why I did that. I don't know why I did that. I think it was self-sabotage maybe, but I let him hit me with dope. So he said he'd got three uh, big five gallon water jugs in his garage. So if I go with him and that's another thing, why do I need to go with him every time if he's going to like, just kind of strange to me that he yeah. just would bring some fucking water or bring run and go here I can go get you some syrup real quick don't don't leave your pancakes and everything I'll go get it so this was one of those I don't know what I was doing I flipped upside down and I remember waiting a long time like fuck I have to hold my breath and keep my vein in the right spot or else will miss in my neck you do not want to fucking miss a dope shot in your neck right you don't want to accidentally hit anything you are not supposed to
0: Look, so I'm pretty fucking square when it comes to needles and drugs and everything like that. I never did, you know, needles or anything. What does happen if you miss the vein?
1: So it all depends on what kind of uh, drug you're using. With meth, it would turn into a big knot. And in the neck, you never know. There's so many nerves and there's like main arteries that if yeah. you hit wrong, you could damage. Like some of my arms are damaged from needle use. Like I still don't have veins. In my arms, very well, like they say, your veins grow back, but they don't. Um, they turn into little tiny vessels that grow back, but your actual like rope veins will not go back if you blow them. Your veins will move too, um, if you if you just move it a little bit too far. Like you see what I mean? You could miss and go all the way through it, and it'll start to burn. Now with heroin, it's totally different. It turns into like a black. Um, but I was doing meth, but yeah, it's, it's all, it depends on the drug. What happens? Yeah. Okay. You know,
0: I'm, I'm, I'm 36 years old. I should know that being, being that I was in a, in a, in a drug scene, but like, I was so definitely scared of the needles and, you know, like meth and everything, because I knew people all around me who were like, I mean, their lives were fucked up from that shit. And I was like, okay, no, I, I don't want, like, I had cousins who were like, Thirty years old, looking like they were seventy. I mean, shit, it 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 wore them the fuck out. And I mean, they lost all their teeth. Uh, you know, couldn't hold down jobs. Lost a kid. Like I, I like I was like, oh no, I just want to have fun and just party a little bit. I didn't want to go down that that road because that 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 because of other people's addictions. It, it scared the fuck out of me so much that I was like, no, I'm not. No.
1: So, but. so I was scared of needles too. I was just like you at one time. I remember when I was a little kid, I snuck out of my room and my parents were watching like 60 seconds in the middle of the night and they were doing like a thing on homeless crisis in the streets. And I was watching a man shoot up. I was about five, six, seven, maybe. And it horrified me watching it. I was traumatized. Like, oh my gosh, that is so horrible. My parents were high IV users, when they relinquished me. You see what I mean? Like, I did not, I already, I knew. I knew how it would fuck you up. What happened is, I should have expressed this, Dewey, the one that I left my husband for, got me into it. And when I say, like, he got me into it, his tweak for some reason, like, when you start doing drugs, like, either you're um, tweaking on bikes, you're taking stuff apart that you shouldn't be taking apart, and then you can't put it back together kind of thing. Yeah, um, You know, like, shit's everywhere. You're tweaking on random stuff. His tweak, his high, his obsession when he was high was trying to hit me because re- my veins were blowing. So I was... It was gnarly. It turned into a crazy obsession for him to, like, give me the greatest feeling, I guess. it would, I don't know what was going on with Dewey, but that was a nightmare. That is how I started using the needle. I was terrified of it too. But my boyfriend was not. And yeah, it was it was Dewey that definitely took me down that really fucking bad path. Against him. And so we broke up shortly after, but I was already hooked and that's when Jed came along. But yeah, I was just like you. So don't so don't think that kids that are scared of something, their life may take a fucking dark turn where things don't matter. And you don't care anymore you know you hit a certain point where yeah you know, yeah I,
0: you basically go to the point of fuck it and just yeah,
1: exactly dive in. When
0: you, and then and then when you're fed, when you're fed this shit and everything like that you get hooked on it i mean it 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 you want to you want to feel that you chase like you chase that feeling and you want to feel it again and again and again then you stop you know you're like okay this is enough this is this is too wild and then you start getting dope sick you start feeling like you're dying and then you re- you find out and realize okay i need this shit now like that's why a lot of addicts will say i need my medicine i remember i used to remember that shit when i was younger yeah. uh, well, yeah.
1: you know, oh, because you aren't well anymore like yeah, you whole work at all without it but it fucks yeah. up your mind at the same time like it's oh, i was just delusional i was writing on the walls um i've got crime scene photos and i was just just fucking right in the crate. You could just tell I was not fucking all there. I was dumpster diving and bringing like just trash home. Uh, it was, I was not all there any. I'd lost it. I'd completely lost it. I'd lost my humanity at that point. I was tired of people fucking with me. I, I let Kelly Tiller, uh, hit me in the neck. And, um, no, no, it was, It was, it was, I shouldn't have done that.
0: Hey, y'all. So I'm going to end off this episode at this point. We're going to pick it back up next week where it goes even further and even deeper with interactions with Kelly Tiller that lead up to that fateful night in New Mexico. I wanted to make this episode about Mm -hmm. the TTI and about her interactions with Kelly Tiller starting up their first introductions. And I think it was important to know all that in between. And so just stay tuned for next week. Now you know this part of the outro or the announcements. I always like to try to save my announcements at the end. Because those who actually care are gonna listen. Those who don't, they're not. I'm just glad I'm just grateful for anybody that's that's turning it off at now at this point, they at least listen to that entire story. But if you would, if you would I would greatly appreciate it if you shared this out on your socials. You know, if you had uh, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, you know, Clapper, fuck, I mean, even Clapper for fuck's sakes. I don't care. Just share it out there. You know, I'm easy to find on TikTok. I'm easy to find on Facebook. You can find my posts out there. I make posts for these stories, too. So they'll have the links. And if you just want to go and hit that share button, hit the fucking share button. You know, hit a repost. Make a duet. I don't care. But the only way that anybody's going to hear these stories is if you feel compelled enough to share it with, with your friends and family as well. They might like to listen to it. You don't know who would be interested in listening to this story. So That's all I ask. Because that's how this channel grows too. It's by y'all. I mean, I can do it all the live long day. But if nobody else does it, then it only gets to a certain point and that's it. And it's been growing. People have been coming to it. People have been hearing about me. Y'all have been talking. And I thank you and I love you for that. And I appreciate you for that. I really do. I thank you immensely. I love every single like, share, repost, duet, you know, mention, all of it. Because it means a lot. Because I didn't think I could influence anybody in this world. I didn't think nobody would want to hear my thoughts about pedophiles and rapists and what we should fucking do with them. But I was wrong. I was dead ass wrong. And I thank y'all. I thank y'all for each and every single one of you that, you know, share my views. That pedophiles, predators, they don't belong in any space with children whatsoever. In any space. And I just want to say, from the bottom of my heart, thank each and every single one of you that has ever reached out to me, told me that you listen, told me that you appreciate what I'm doing, encouraged me to keep going on. It really means a lot. And I love you for it. I deeply love y'all for it. You know, um, it just, it does touch my heart. I know there's good people out there that actually care. And they come from all fucking walks of life. That was even more endearing to me than anything else. Because it means that there are people in all different types of our society that care the same way I do. How we go about it might be different, but at the end of the day, we all have this one mission. Protect all children, even if they're not our own. So with that, I'm going to leave off on this. Like I say, share the podcast out there. There's no really any new new news. Um, I'm still in the works with talking with a few people who might make some, who's going to be making some merchandise for us. So t-shirts, hats, things of that sort of nature. Uh, there are some other announcements coming up once me and Sabrina get to talking about it and we're going to share it on an episode soon, or I'm going to make a post about it. So just be on the lookout for that as well. I just want to get some, you know, hats and shirts and stuff like that for a man apart podcast. People have been asking about it. I, I've been listening to you. I never had, you know, I've, I've had shirts and t-shirts made locally for my, you know, for me and my wife's dog business, but everybody loves dogs, right? When you start when you start asking somebody to make a T shirt about you know how uh, you know dead pedophiles don't reoffend, uh, you know the only good pedophile is a dead pedophile or have pedophile hunter you know baseball hats or you know are um, you you know you have the bowman seeing the bowman never forget and they and they ask you what a bowman is, they really don't want to make those fucking shirts. They don't want their names attached to to, to a message like that, which makes me fucking wonder about people like that, right? But so I had to go online and because cause this, is, this is local out here and I was I was kind of told like, nah, I don't want to do that. Nope, nope, nope. And I can kind of understand because a lot of these people just don't understand how brutal these stories are. And if they did. You know, they would happily make them, I think, in my opinion, I could be wrong, just my opinion. But I have reached out to some people online. I've reached out to one person. I should say I've reached out to one person online so far. Waiting to hear back on a response from them. And when I do, I will announce it. Hell, I'll probably even have them on the podcast more than likely. So, if not, I'll find other people if if they can't, if they're not able to. Or if they, you know, for whatever reason. Because, look, people get busy. They do things. It's business. There's no, there's, you can't put emotions in business. And so... There are people that believe in my message that make T-shirts and hats and all that other good mess. So I definitely would, you know, will pursue them later on if they if I need to. But for right now, it's just a wait and see game with all that. I know I just kind of went off a little bit for a few minutes, but yeah, you know, that's that ADHD I guess working in my mind, right? Trying to wake the fuck up. Y'all, y'all have a good one. It is in the morning right now, so. I don't know what time you're listening to this story, whether it's the morning, afternoon, evening, or at night. Just know I love you. I care about you. Thank you so much. Let me rephrase that. I love you and I care about you, unless you're a fucking pedophile. Fuck you, and I hope you have a horrible fucking day. For the rest of you, I hope you have an awesome day. I hope you have an awesome weekend. Man, y'all go rock the fuck out and just live your lives, all right? Thank every single one of you I want to thank every single one of you for listening. And we will be back next week, next Friday, with part four of the the Haynes Chronicles. Love you. Be safe. The Bowman see. And the Bowman never forget.